The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, everyone. You are listening to the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. This is your host, Nam Ras Das. I'm very honored to have His Holiness, Bhakti Raghava Swami Maharaj, on the show today. Maharaj, thank you so much for joining me. Hare Krishna. Great, great. Maharaj, uh, so please, if we could start us off uh, talking a little bit about your history in, in spiritual life. How did you come in contact with devotees? That was in the early 70s, actually. I'm uh, originally from Canada, and uh, I've seen devotees in the very early 70s. In some ways, I was kind of keeping away from them because uh, I thought, uh, you know, in those early days in America, devotees were uh, <clears throat> very different from any other group. Right. But I, I eventually uh, developed some uh, some interest actually in Eastern um, culture, Eastern philosophy, taking up yoga. Anyways, it was in Ottawa when I first visited a temple. Mm, that was after receiving a copy of the Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita, on the, uh, on the street by one book distributor. <laughs> And uh, that was in the summer of 1973. Wow. And um, <clears throat> um, my first visit to the temple was, because I, in addition to the book, he had given me like a visiting card, inviting me to the love feast, right? So I went to the love feast and uh, I was uh, immediately very uh, impressed by how clean the place was how gentle and you know uh, soft spoken and and also knowledgeable the boys were very knowledgeable so anyway that was my very first contact and uh, I was you know in my mid-20s at that time and uh, I simply continued to come to the temple I had been like many young people you know um, asking so many questions and searching and I intuitively knew, understood that this was it, Krishna consciousness. So shortly after that, I, I joined as a full-time devotee at the Ottawa Temple. Yeah. Wow. Did you, uh, did Prabhupada come around at that time to Canada? Or? <laughs> Our temple was uh, probably one of the smallest uh, temples, uh, definitely in Canada, right. if, not, if not around the world. So Prabhupada... Uh, actually, uh, never visited Ottawa. He did visit uh, Montreal, and that was like uh, a year later. I joined actually uh, very uh, beginning of uh, 1974. Uh, Srila Prabhupada uh, came to Montreal actually the next year, following year. But even before that, um, uh, a group of devotees from Ottawa and uh, Toronto, Montreal, we had gone to New Vrindavan in 19 uh, July. 1974 when Prabhupada was there and that's where I got my Harinam initiation yeah wow wonderful, wonderful. so that was wonderful of course <laughs> right um so Maharaj uh let's talk a little bit about 
the title of the podcast. So Vedic sociology in 2021, can you sort of explain what does that entail as a, just as an intro here? The uh, <clears throat> title may be misunderstood possibly by a number of people. <clears throat> Vedic sociology uh, is um, <clears throat> something that both Srila Prabhupada and uh, Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur actually refer to and uh, mention that, you know, when we want to study, actually study society, when we actually want to organize society, then uh, the ideal society, the perfect society, uh, is the Varnashrama society, society that is based on the principles of Varnashrama. And Prabhupada even quotes, you know, the well-known verse in the Bhagavad Gita, Chatur Sam, as uh, that verse being the definition for sociology, you know. Wow. And uh, yeah, and there's a very interesting uh, quote, I wanted to uh, just share it also from uh, the Sajana Toshani of Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, where he mentions because I'm doing my research on this, so I naturally had to go to different sources. Sure. So, so he says as follows, those who have sufficiently studied sociology, right? Those who have sufficiently studied sociology certainly conclude that the system of Varnasrama is the topmost social system, you see. Mm. It, um, seems, it seems that <clears throat> um, when we talk about Varnasram or the di the division between the ashramas and the varnas that it's something that's not able to be uh put into a modern context like it's something that I, that what when when i heard it it seems like it's something like okay it's like during the mahabharat time or something <laughs> could you could you kind of elaborate <clears throat> on why you think or why you? I mean, you're you've been working on this for a long time. I think your uh, your title is like Varnashram Minister or for ISKCON. I was um, well here in India. Actually, we have a Varnashram Ministry, which was established in the year two thousand and nine. I was uh, requested to be the minister for the national. Uh, we call it ISKCON. Daiva Varnasram Ministry in India. It's a national ministry within, you know, within India. So up until maybe two years back, uh, two years ago, I, I stepped down. I voluntarily resigned to allow other devotees to be involved. So from the very beginning of our ministry here in India, I've been uh, involved and in even uh, before that. Mm. I mean, <laughs> for many, many years as a devotee, as a full-time devotee within you know, our Khan society, even after coming to India and spending many years, to me, Varnashram didn't mean anything or didn't mean very much. Mm. I, I came to India actually way back in 1976. I stayed like 18 years straight. I was very involved in village outreach programs, mm. connected with uh, the, uh, what is called Namhata program. You may uh, have heard that yeah. was, uh, yeah, uh, overseen actually by uh, Jai Patak Maharaj. Uh, but I, I was requested like to be the, uh, the director or coordinator of that program. So although I was visiting villages 
you know, that was like a full-time engagement. Varnashram like eluded me. It was only much, much later. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, yeah, it's amazing. When I went to Indonesia, actually, that was like uh, in the middle of um, uh, 1995 or so approximately. Then it began, uh, one of the reasons why it actually began to uh, <clears throat> be very meaningful for me was, uh, were two things actually, the essay on Gita Nagari, which is oh, in the folio. Okay. Yeah, Gita Nagari, also known as Conceptions on Gita Nagari. Mm. Uh, a number of devotees have written on this. And uh, it's amazing because in that small, it's an essay of only maybe 55 pages that was, uh, you know, printed in Srila Prabhupada's Back to Godhead magazine way back in 1956. Right. Amazingly enough, the Prabhupada explains what is called four movements, which to this day are unknown to the vast majority of devotees. And, and uh, I got reconfirmation on these four movements, and I'll mention them in a few minutes, <laughs> and I think you'll understand. I got a reconfirmation on these four movements in a letter that was written by Srila Prabhupada way back in 1949. So that's like seven years before Prabhupada wrote Gita Nagari uh, or published in his Back to Godhead magazine. And these four movements, um, when I came back to India, actually, I was, as I mentioned, I was in India for many years. Then I, Krishna, <laughs> Krishna kind of flipped the table on me and didn't allow me to come back to India for about 14 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I came back, came back to India actually 2006. Uh, and, I, you know, foreigners have different kind of sometimes weird situations. In any event, uh, the first book I, I, I published was called uh, <clears throat> Vrindavan Village. Vrindavan Village, which is actually the main theme of this book, Gita Nagari. And I reproduced uh, these four movements in that book along with the letter of 1949. And this is most important actually, because it helps us. I mean, by reading those, I could more, much more clearly see what Prabhupada had in mind way back before leaving India. And what he also uh, introduced when going to America. So I'll just very briefly mention these four movements and you'll see how how logical and systematic and how they kind of like <clears throat> connect with one another um, in a very practical way. And I would say in an evolving manner. And these are the exact words given by Prabhupada that you will find in the essay Gita Nagari. The first movement Prabhupada calls Sankirtan movement, referring to the holy name and books specifically. Sankirtan movement. Second movement Prabhupada refers to as Diti worship movement, which means after chanting the holy name in public, after distributing books, naturally some people will be interested. Therefore, they need a place. Yeah. So establishing temples and Diti worship. Third movement Prabhupada calls it spiritual initiation movement. 
whereby we train our congregation and prepare them to become committed eventually by taking, you know, formal diksha. Right. And the fourth movement actually, even to this day in the, fol in the folio is blurred. Blurred in the sense, <laughs> blurred in the sense that unless you're looking for it, you won't find it. Interesting. And the reason, yeah, it is amazing. <laughs> and the reason is that uh, <clears throat> there is uh, numbers, there are numbers given one, two, and three, but there's no number four, which means that actually the fourth movement that I'm going to mention now is kind of merged with the third one. So you have to be. Initiation. Yeah. So the fourth movement is called, and that's going to be misleading to some people. Prabhupada calls it the classless society movement or the classless, yeah, classless society. Now, one may immediately conclude well, that means we don't need any varnas and no, we don't need any ashrams. But no, Prabhupada specifically explains that classless society means within these four varnas and within these four ashramas, everyone is a bhakta. Everyone is serving Krishna. Everyone is on the same level of service. Everyone is on the same level of consciousness. So there is, we don't have this kind of uh, competition, bodily uh, competition, so to speak. I see. So, yeah. So in many ways, classless society means clashless, clashless society. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is Daiva Varnasama. Yeah. Mm. And, yeah. and it's really, yeah. it's so, it's, it's so important because uh, it touches on, like you were mentioning a little while ago, <laughs> I suppose people, especially outside of India, anywhere in the world, you know, viticulture is so far removed from our lives and the concepts and words like Varna and Asrama, as you mentioned, we think of, you know, Mahabharata, <laughs> we go back in history. But <clears throat> when we understand, that's why Prabhupada emphasized so much the importance of thoroughly reading and studying Bhagavad Gita, because in the Bhagavad Gita, the five basic tatwas, isn't it? The five basic principles, one of which being prakriti, means material nature. And material nature is intimately connected with the gunas, the modes of material nature, isn't it? And the gunas are <laughs> naturally intimately connected with varnas. Yeah. So it's, you know, the whole thing is actually very, very deep, very, very scientific and very, very uh, systematic, very, very logical. And uh, that is what, I mean, that's why Prabhupada spoke about it so much. And even in our modern day society, even in North America, wanted that we establish, you know, not only the Brahminical culture, he wanted that we establish also Kshatriya culture. He wanted that we establish all of these cultures, Brahmana culture, Kshatriya culture, Vaisha culture, and Shudra culture. You know, to be Shudra, naturally, most people, when we hear the word Shudra, we, uh, it's a negative, leaves a negative connotation, isn't it? Unfortunately. But, you know, in the Bhagavatam, uh, 
And I really urge devotees who have not yet given sufficient time to studying the last five chapters of the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, where Srila Narada Muni uh, in detail explains about the whole Varnasama Dharma. And in that explanation, Narada Muni speaks about, I believe, eight or nine qualities needed for Shudra. Not so easy to become a good Shudra. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so in other words, the, 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 uh, the level of Shudra, which is considered, let's say, uh, from a material point of view, possibly on the lowest level, <clears throat> is a very elevated uh, post or position. Because uh, shudras are those who are don't uh, are not having the natural abilities, let's say, uh, of a brahmana, which means intellectual uh, abilities, and, and not having the abilities of a kshatriya and, and vaisha, and therefore need to be guided and protected in so many ways by them. So unless they develop, because that's also one of the first instructions given by Narada Muni that to become qualified or accepted as a human being, one needs to develop 30 basic qualities. Brahmanas need to develop those qualities, <laughs> Kshatriyas, Vaishas, and Shudras. And the first four of those qualities are the foundational pillars of Dharma. Satyam, Daya, which correspond to the four basic principles that we follow that Prabhupada introduced in the West. Yeah. So in other well, words, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, so Maharaj, I understand what you're saying about Varnashram, the classes and things like that. When you, when you uh, put that into practice, what does that look like in this day and age? Yes. Well, it's absent. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's absent. It's absent for a very good reason. Um, one devotee was uh, speaking with Srila Prabhupada, mentioning that yes, you know, our whole society has been uh, <clears throat> led by demons and 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 um, unqualified people, and the whole society has been in uh, <clears throat> disorder for uh, so many centuries. Prabhupada corrected him. No, society as we know today has evolved, not really evolved, rather has degraded <laughs> the right. opposite, uh, since only 200 years. And this is something very important because actually sociology as a science was only born about two, 300 years ago. It was established as a science. I mean, we know that it's eternal because it's Varnasram. Varnasram is also based on eternal uh, principles. You know, uh, it's the eternal natural system for those who are in the material world. Yeah. So what happened, you know, uh, those who study a little bit of history during the French Revolution, I see a little bit prior to that, this one personality, Auguste Comte from France, Auguste Comte, uh, some type of uh, philosopher, <clears throat> He introduced this system uh, or this science called sociology. And basically sociology was, which we know as modern sociology, 
was basically rejecting two main authorities at the time, the church, because basically the French Revolution was rejected the church and rejected monarchy, isn't it? But we know that actually in the, in, in the Vedic culture and in any society, unless you have those two uh, individuals, the Brahmanas and the Kshatriyas, society cannot function properly, you see. So therefore, Prabhupada was making the point that it's only since uh, two, uh, 200 years approximately that society has taken a major, we could say, deviation and has uh, increased more and more, you know, based on the whole industrial revolution is also uh, there as causing what we have today <clears throat> uh, a situation where we cannot really see. Uh, we can see remnants of Varnasrama, especially, I would say, in Asian countries or in countries where people still value villages. Interesting. One main reason being, and we forget that, or maybe we've never really <laughs> understood it, but Vedic culture is primarily an agrarian-based society. Agrarian-based society, you know, uh, it means that the majority of people <clears throat> live in villages. They live off the land and they keep cows, you see. So in other words, you know, the, the whole modern direction um, through industrialization and mechanization and globalization and urbanization is actually a deviation from what the norm is meant to be. And there's a whole, you know, of course, all of this is based, we're going in this direction, actually, because we don't have qualified persons who can properly direct society. I'll right. tell you something interesting, because you're from America. <laughs> you may or may not have heard this, but one of the founding fathers of America, uh, I believe Benjamin Franklin, one of those uh, you know, they were all very pious. I mean, America was founded, you know, I mean, in God we trust, right? Yes. <laughs> in God we trust. <laughs> so he made the following statement that America will continue to be great if it keeps agriculture as its main focus. You know, <laughs> and of course that hasn't happened. Uh, mm. Agriculture is there, but it's like uh, modern-day agriculture, agro-business is uh, a deviation from natural, we could say, agriculture. Uh, <clears throat> so, you're say so you're saying that, that Varnashram is based on agrarian culture, and it can properly be uh, applied if we go back to that na more natural way of life. Correct. Yes. More, the, the complete spectrum of what Varnasrama means and what Varnasrama offers to individuals and to society is best found and realized and experienced within an agrarian-based culture, means within villages. So in other words, we're going in the wrong way.
Right. So why why does it have to be called Varnashram, like based on Varnas and Ashrams, when you can just say, let's start, let's let's um let's go back to more farm or village life. Like what's the what's the reason to have the ashrams and varnas within that farm thing? Is do you understand kind of what I'm uh, I, I think so. Uh, yeah. Anyway, you, you can let me know sure. by what I will reply. Uh, <clears throat> because whether one is in a village, in a more, let's say, natural environment, than in modern day cities, it's not that cities per se are bad. I mean, Dwarka, Hastinapur <laughs> were cities, but they were Vedic cities. Yeah, we don't have Vedic cities nowadays. But whether one lives in a village or in a city, the modes of nature will follow one. The modes of nature will act upon one. So Varna means actually the uh, outcome of the modes of nature mm, from our previous lives, isn't it? We all have from birth certain tendencies, certain qualities, and uh, <clears throat> certain symptoms that uh, indicate that we are more Brahminical, more Kshatriya type, or more Vaishya type, or not, isn't it? In other words, it's, it's a natural <clears throat> division that is meant to take place or that I would say automatically takes place when we are in a more natural environment. And that's one of the main reasons why it's so important, like within our ISKCON society, as you may have noticed, there are so many discussions and arguments and disagreements and some of them quite major as well. And, and I would say quite critical also. A lot of this misunderstanding is due to our not having grasped or understood some of these basic concepts and principles that are connected with Varnashrama Dharma. Could you, could you give an example? Uh, <clears throat> for example, yes. We speak about Bhagavad Gita, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna speaks about prescribed duties. Now, the vast majority of people in the world, including the vast majority of our devotees, are caught up in non-traditional occupations. Would you agree? Yeah, me, <laughs> me completely. I, I sit in the computer all day long, so it's completely yeah. unnatural. Yeah, and I mean, you know, we, we, we train our young children <laughs> in that mode of living, that mode of uh, thinking, etc., like that. Right. In the seventh canto of the Bhagavatam, as I was mentioning earlier, in the first of those five chapters, which is chapter 11, Narada Muni, uh, <clears throat> in one of the verses, explains, actually, it's in the purport to a verse <clears throat> or to an instruction given by Narada Muni, that actually the vast majority of householders, listen carefully, the, the vast majority of householders are meant to be engaged in agriculture. Mm. So this is one simple example of, you know, this is like traditional occupation. And of course we can give, and rightly so, so many reasons why like this seems practically <laughs> impossible. But one thing we fail to understand, a number of things we fail to understand, 
I mean, Srila Prabhupada clearly indicated to us close to 50 years ago that this whole modern setup or whole modern civilization will collapse. He used very strong words that modern civilization is a doomed civilization. He mentioned things like one of the purposes of the Krishna consciousness movement is to bring a complete overhaul in the social system and to revert back to Vardhas and Ashramas. Many, many such uh, uh, directives and instructions by Srila Prabhupada. And when we begin to understand, that's why <clears throat> it's so important to, um, one book actually, I'll just mention something which I think is quite relevant to the discussion. Sure. In 1996 was Srila Prabhupada's centennial anniversary, right? 1896, 1996. A few years before that, the GBC body had commissioned a group of devotees to study the topic of community development. So they went, they started their work, started their research. And later on, they explained that actually, we came to the conclusion that we cannot properly study the topic of community development without studying Varnashrama. And as a result of their findings, they came out with one book, major book. I can just show it to you here, actually, Please. which was published in uh, <clears throat> 1999 with the title, Speaking About Varnashrama. This is a picture in Gita Nagari. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Srila Prabhupada and so many sannyasis are there. This uh, book, is actually in the folio under the title uh, Varnashrama Dharma. So the point I'm making is that those devotees, mm, the uh, <clears throat> Mataji who actually compiled is uh, Hare Krishna Dasi. Oh, I and, remember. She used to write tobacco yeah, many yes, years. Yes, 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 very much so. And Sureshwar Prabhu, one uh, <clears throat> senior proper disciple, was also uh, very instrumental in helping he was part of the committee and uh, did some editing. Uh, so they explained in the beginning the following, which is, I would say, unknown. <laughs> Again, yet another unknown for many devotees. They explained as follows, from our study of the various uh, writings of Srila Prabhupada, his instructions, conversations, etc., we came to the understanding that Prabhupada's plan for establishing temples in the cities was to actually train up devotees for two, for two reasons, two main purposes. One naturally was to preach in the cities, to distribute books, go down Harinam, etc. And the other one was to actually train up individuals, devotees, to come back to the natural way of living in villages. And that's why Prabhupada started his uh, New Vrindavan, as well as other communities, both in America and other countries as well. We have failed to understand this, I would say, to this day. And that's why in some conversations, I mean, you'll see Prabhupada make statements like, we don't want cities. We don't want the kind of cities that we have now, which are destroying, you know, 
physically or affecting in so many ways, health-wise, uh, mental-wise, and especially spiritually. Very difficult for those who are practicing Krishna consciousness to be constantly bombarded with all of the negativity that is there in the cities. For So therefore, I think the following statement can maybe sum up what I'm trying to explain here, that our cities are meant to be primarily our preaching basis. Cities are preaching basis, while villages or the country should be our living basis. We, we see in the past, you know, one and a half years of what's been going on in the world, that it becomes so much more apparent that uh, the cities and this modern civilization, it can, it can like, like this crumble the economic development of everyone. Like we see everything's been closed. People have been suffering like anything. What is yep. your view on, you know, what's been happening in the world and in connection with what you're, uh, you know, promoting essentially? <clears throat> to me and to others as well, who are, somewhat familiar with uh, Srila Prabhupada's uh, <clears throat> statements and uh, instructions regarding Varnasrama, especially in the last uh, year and a half, I mean, since uh, COVID, for example, these are clear, even more clear <laughs> uh, directives, I would say, uh, clear signs that, hey, you know, when are we going to actually understand Prabhupada's desire and, and, and his foretelling that present-day civilization is unsustainable. It right. is unsustainable. And, and what are we doing and what have we done to actually, small example, in those days when Prabhupada was with us, <clears throat> he specifically instructed immediately in all of our centers around the world, establish a Varnashram College. We've not done that. Why did Prabhupada want us to establish a Varnashram College? He wanted to train our devotees to understand what is actually Vedic culture. <clears throat> so therefore, we should take, I mean, I just mentioned COVID as one example, but there's... <laughs> Yeah, as, as you rightly mentioned, economically, we've been in crisis globally. Uh, we have major, major global problems. You know, the problem of desertification, the problem of uh, loss of habitat, the problem of uh, loss of biodiversity, and all of these major problems, which, you know, eventually <laughs> the end result is that it's going to collapse. It has to collapse. Anything which is unsustainable you can only stretch it to a certain extent. And then, and then, I mean, I think you've heard, like many devotees have as well, Srila Prabhupada, <clears throat> actually I was, as part of my research, I had gone to New Taliban. Oh, right. That was 2018. So I was interviewed. That was when I had chosen 10 different communities uh, as part of my uh, research for this uh, <clears throat> you know, Vedic sociology. So I was speaking to one devotee who was mentioning that uh, when Prabhupada was visiting, I think in the early, yeah, maybe 74 or 75, Srila Prabhupada had made the following 
remarkable statement that this devotee had never heard before, and I had never heard it until this devotee told me, actually, two years, three years ago. So he said that, because uh, one devotee was asking, what's going to happen? Uh, because at different times, devotees would have, you know, quite extensive discussions on the world situation, the world affairs, and about World War III and things like that. So this one devotee was asking when Prabhupada was there, what are devotees going to do when that happens? Right. Either World War III or whenever, when things collapse. Prabhupada replied, our society is going to be like the Red Cross. <laughs> our society uh, will <clears throat> be out there to help people in their distressful condition. And I'm sure you've heard as well, this was repeated by Rameshwar Prabhu uh, <clears throat> a number of times, because he heard it directly from Srila Prabhupada, who stated that we need to have these different communities all over the world, because when the situation, when, when modern civilization will collapse and it will collapse, people will come in the thousands, taking shelter in our communities. Wow. Where are our communities? You see, where is Varnashram College? Where are the Gurukulas? One of the important, one of the important things, which in, let's say in the context of education, because <clears throat> education is, you know, a whole Vedic culture gives so much importance to training and education. As a matter of fact, Prabhupada one time mentioned that uh, our ISKCON society is not simply a religious organization. It's, a, it's an educational society. It's a cultural society, even social, you know, meant to bring about the social changes. So the whole Vedic culture is based on four main sciences. Mm. That, that are referred to as Chatur Vidya. Chatur Vidya, you find this in the uh, Kotilya Arthashastra by Chanakya. So this Chatur Vidya is meant to be, I would say, the foundation or the, the curriculum for Varnashram College and has been traditionally for Gurukula. And these four sciences, uh, I'll just mention in English, cover number one, the science of philosophy, which is basic for anyone who is meant to take a leadership position within society. And those who are meant to take leadership position in society, according to Vedic culture, are what is called the Dvijas. The Dvijas. The Dvijas are the Brahmana, Kshatriyas, and Vaishas. So the first science is the science of philosophy, Anvikshiki, it's called in Sanskrit. Second science is called uh, <clears throat> Trai, that is for Brahmanas, the science of education. Third science is called Dandaniti, the science of politics for Kshatriyas. And the, and the third or the fourth science is called Varta, or the science of economics for Vaishyas. So, I mean, these are like basic concepts, basic principles, basic knowledge which, you know, how can we, Prabhupada was expecting and wanting that we as a society 
<clears throat> by reestablishing the Brahminical head within society could give you know, guidance and assistance to other members of society. But if we ourselves are lacking in understanding what is the science of politics or what is the science of um, uh, economics, how we can actually guide others. Mm. Yeah, I'm, basically what I'm saying is that there are some standard, traditional, basic and very scientific sciences that make up the Vedic culture that have always been there uh, studied mm, within the traditional Gurukula and uh, in this way, one who goes through this natural, uh, let's say, traditional education comes out as a very learned and qualified individual, right. which we are lacking today <laughs> very much. Right. Not only, well, not only within general society, I would say, but even within our own society, when we only emphasize or give attention, let's say, to the Brahminical side, without training individuals to. How are we going to guide politicians? I mean, we're not going to be taking up the positions of politician, but we are meant as a society to actually guide. Yeah. The, the thing I struggle with, Maharaj, is that this sounds really uh, ideal and it sounds um, really nice. <laughs> but when you... But when you um, try to apply it in a world that's... 99% not following that. Yep. How do you how do you also you know be true to uh the teachings but at the same time be able to interact with the world because if you for example if we're if we're teaching certain things or we're living in a completely agrarian lifestyle you like for example you have to go into the city to preach and, and do all that stuff so it's 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 like a, is it an all or nothing kind of thing like do you completely do that and cut yourself off from the rest of the world or mm. is it that you 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 develop parts of that the teachings of varnashram and then mm. you slowly you know do the interaction and things like that good question <laughs> Which is on the mind, I'm sure, of many devotees. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to take an angle of devotees who who might be listening yeah. to this, who are like in New York City in a in a small you know apartment in Manhattan, yeah. and like Maharaj is talking about Varnashram. How do I even go start by taking yeah. that up up in my life? <clears throat> Correct. So a few things. One is that Srila Prabhupada wanted. I mean, Prabhupada was always very realistic. So he wanted that we simultaneously be in the cities, but primarily that we be in the cities for preaching. He also wanted that we, I mean, he instructed that every city temple, every city temple around the world should have within a 50 kilometer radius a farm community. Every temple actually should have their own cow that would be serving pure, wholesome, natural milk to the deities, isn't it? That yes. would be serving yeah, wholesome food as well, which we don't have, actually. So, in other words, these two things need to go side by side. It's not that we abandon the cities, <clears throat> but we definitely have not given uh, <clears throat> the, the kind of attention that we should have to the instructions 
given by Srila Prabhupada regarding developing communities, number one, and secondly, regarding training our devotees. So obviously, the vast majority of our devotees cannot just <laughs> pack up and go, and go where, right? Because we don't have these setups. But what we need to do is <clears throat> some of these principles of Varnasrama, we can also apply, of course, wherever we may be. I'm talking in terms of, let's say, overall society and where on the long run we need to go and where we will have to go once things, it's just like, you know, if we can understand, if we can accept what Srila Prabhupada said regarding the collapse of modern civilization, then what are we doing to prepare ourselves? I mean, besides chanting Hare Krishna, we should be chanting Hare Krishna, but Prabhupada said when, you know, when it's time to defend devotees or the deities, uh, you put your bead bag aside and you defend <laughs> the devotees. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, uh, so we have to be practical and, 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 and therefore, if we, <clears throat> if we would have instituted these, even on a small scale, these Varnashram colleges, which we could do and should do, I would say, anytime, especially nowadays, then devotees could help, I mean, could begin to understand, okay, what can I do in my present situation right now? Because we don't have a community close by. And even if we did, there's only X number of people, X number of devotees who can actually go there. So in other words, one can introduce in one's life uh, <clears throat> something which is very practical and along the lines of, let's say, Varnashram ideology, instead of using all kinds of commercial products, we should use more natural products. You mm. see. Uh, <clears throat> all of the different uh, soaps and uh, chemical products uh, that we, we are using are very, even the clothes that we're wearing. Here in India, for example, we, in the ministry that we have, one of our departments is a department promoting traditional technologies. And one of our devotees, a devotee who's heading up that department since the last, uh, the last uh, three, four years has been reintroducing the traditional way of making cloth. Most of the cloth, yeah, most of the cloth that we're wearing is synthetic and is actually very bad for the health in so many ways, you know. The textile industry around the world, which is huge, is one of the most polluting industries in the world polluting in terms of the, the, the land, the soil, the waters, and also polluting in terms of being uh, a health hazard for us who are wearing unnatural uh, clothes. You know? So whether it's clothes, whether it's food, uh, medicine. Now, of course, we get into the whole... <laughs> oh, don't say the word. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get... I, I, yeah. I know, what you're, I know what you're referring to, though, but we can discuss yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, before, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. So, uh, I mean, Vedic culture promotes, naturally, it's part of the, one of the uh, sciences, Ayurveda. Yes. More natural science. So that's a whole controversial uh, issue, which is very, very much discussed nowadays, and how since so, so many years, a whole conspiracy has been there to keep us away from natural medicines and rather take up uh, the, you know, <clears throat> uh, 
chemically based uh, medicines, which are uh, in so many ways having side effects and uh, bad for our health. So in other words, as devotees, we can become more conscientious in our lifestyle, what we eat, how we move about, you know, instead of, I mean, to go for, uh, to the corner store, uh, it's better to either walk or take a bicycle than taking a motor uh, vehicle, things, things like that, practical things. Yeah. And, and, and uh, <clears throat> these are like the areas, you know, uh, <clears throat> because Vedic culture, when we live, uh, and understand and appreciate agrarian life. Sarva kama udara di that everything actually mm, is originating from the land. Cloth, the clothes we wear, comes from the land. You know, <clears throat> I mean, it comes from factories, but they they take the uh, uh, base uh, elements, cotton or whatever it may be. Food, cloth, medicine, and then shelter. These are the four things. So the more we can be in line with what is more natural, that is one thing. And of course, the more we can, it's part of the uh, Vedic culture, to minimize our material necessities so that we can have maximum time, more time for devotional practices, for association with devotees, etc., like that. So there are, there are a number of, I would say, practical ways in which we can begin wherever we may be, some of these principles in connection with the whole uh, more natural uh, Varnashram ideology. What I was referring to a little earlier, which we should also keep in mind, and especially those who are in leadership position, is that what are we doing to actually <clears throat> make... Uh, that eventual transition, if we know that modern day society is not going to be around forever. Here's something also, I just want to mention this point because Prabhupada was responding to a similar question one time uh, that a devotee was asking. And Prabhupada replied as follows, <clears throat> we don't expect even the majority, I mean, we don't expect uh, so many people to actually do or follow what we're doing. <clears throat> Prabhupada made the following statement. We should encourage and assist and help as many devotees as possible make this kind of transition. And our message to the world is that we live like this. We live like this. We don't depend on... Uh, things or individuals or situations that uh, are unpredictable because the whole Vedic culture is based on the whole idea of sustainability, self-sufficiency, isn't it? Yeah. A village by itself is like self-sufficient and whatnot. So Prabhupada made that, uh, it, it caught my attention when he made that statement, we live like this. And therefore, uh, he also made the following statement that we should be a society that is the least, I'm not quoting him verbatim, but is the least dependent on modern day society. Yeah. Hmm. Because, yeah, from one day to, to the next, you know, the kind of situation we have, as we can all understand, 
is so uh, precarious that, uh, I mean, <clears throat> at any moment, if uh, we are without electricity, for example, you know, we're so dependent on our computers and on, on, on so many facilities that, that electricity provides, we immediately, we, we, we're, we're crippled. You know, we're, we're dysfunctional. <clears throat> so we it, have to work on these two levels. Yeah. It seems that if, if devotees or people who become interested in Krishna consciousness, the more they uh, become into bhajan and, and chanting and sadhana and things, it seems that the village and country life is a more suitable life for that <clears throat> uh, practice of Krishna consciousness. So it seems that to to like you were saying, preaching is just meant for the cities. I mean, the cities are just meant for preaching. And so the living is meant for the countryside because I feel that's a more like I was just in in Detroit, um, in Michigan. They have a farm there. And I was just mm. sitting there and I was and I was just chanting and I was like, I was surrounded by forests and it was very quiet. I couldn't hear any cars and everything. I was like, this is like a natural, naturally pleasing and peaceful place to perform Krishna conscious activities. Yes. Prabhupada actually commented in that respect by mentioning how cities are man-made, modern cities, <laughs> uh, whereas villages are more, uh, <clears throat> more natural, more uh, closer to, to nature. But when, when I mentioned, for example, that uh, cities should be a preaching basis, it is not that in the villages we also don't preach. Right. Yeah, Prabhupada mentioned you should, <laughs> you should go by bullock cart, north, south, east, and west with books and Harinam and induce others to take <laughs> up the, you know, the holy name. Wow, right. beautiful. Yeah, so we are a preaching uh, movement wherever we may be. But to bring up our, our children, you know, to give proper uh, <clears throat> uh, surrounding, proper education to our children in a more natural environment, obviously, is much more ideal. Yeah. Now, what would you say to someone who says, life is really short and we have only a certain amount of time here? Why? Why? dabble in Varnashram and trying to figure out how we're going to live in this world uh, when we can just, ch you know, chant Hare Krishna, follow the principles, get out of here as soon as possible kind of thing. You know, like, what would you say to that? Yes, that is not the first time we're hearing this question. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with the best kind of pushback here, Maharaj. No, 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 that's fine. Yeah. Well, I generally would reply to someone like that. <clears throat> that is uh, very good to concentrate um, <clears throat> and give importance and emphasis on, you know, um, <clears throat> chant and be happy. Uh, <clears throat> at the same time, every day we have to eat. Yeah. Where is that coming from? Yeah. We have to be practical. We have to live somewhere. We have to uh, eat every day to maintain this body. So, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> so devotees, um, I'll tell you another statement, uh, you know, made by Srila Prabhupada, which uh, 
when we hear it initially, it might like uh, surprise us. The devotees were talking about, yeah, this very point that, you know, we are, um, we're followers of Lord Chaitanya. Sankirtan movement, chant, dance, and be happy, right? <laughs> so why bother about Varnashram, which seems like somewhat complicated. Uh, <clears throat> then Prabhupada was telling, yes, we are followers of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that's what he did. He simply fully, completely absorbed himself. I mean, for the last, uh, <clears throat> what is it? The last 18 years in Jagannath Puri, as we know, he was um, not traveling anywhere. And the last 12 years of his manifest pastimes were in the room. Come totally absorbed. Yeah, correct. Could totally absorbed. In, in, in the pastimes of, of Radha and Krishna, totally absorbed in Vrindavan uh, Lila. You know, that's why Jagannath Puri is known as Bhava Vrindavan. He was in the Vrindavan Bhava, <laughs> yeah. Then Prabhupada mentioned, but we will not imitate Lord Chaitanya. We, we will not do like Lord Chaitanya. We also will not do like Namasarya Sri Laharidas Thakur, you see. And therefore, Srila Prabhupada, basically the success for a devotee is to understand and to put into practice the instructions of the spiritual master, especially in our case, the founder Acharya of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. He is everyone's shiksha, basic shiksha guru, isn't it? We read his books every day. We hear his classes, etc. So, in other words, Srila Prabhupada naturally wanted that we also focus on every day chanting the holy name, hearing Bhagavatam, etc. Simultaneously, he specifically requested that we help to reestablish Varnasana. When he mentions that these cities will not be around much longer, you know, the automobile, automobile, uh, industry will be finished in 50 years and I believe one devotee was mentioning, quoting this was stated by Srila Prabhupada in 1973 make fast calculation <laughs> we're 2021 23, 23 yeah oh Krishna <laughs> oh Krishna <coming>. yeah <laughs> so I mean you know we, our success as followers of Srila Prabhupada, as members of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, and that is described very nicely by Srila Rupa Goswami. Sri Chaitanya Manobhistam Stapitam Jaina Bhutale Soyam Rupa Kadamayam Kadati Swapadantikam. Oh, when will I be able to understand the innermost uh, <clears throat> feelings? and desires of Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So our success as followers, as members of the ISKCON society is to imbibe these uh, <clears throat> notions, these feelings, and, and, and especially these instructions given by Srila Prabhupada. So it means that simultaneously, we need to remain in the cities. Our, our, our city centers are most important to give shelter to people and to go out preaching simultaneously, which is something we have not done, we need to 
help individuals, help our own devotees and eventually society in general for those who will be hearing to actually come back to the more natural way of living, to the norm. In other words, this is a norm. <clears throat> These modes of material nature, because they're connected with Prakriti and because Prakriti is one of the eternal principles. Therefore, Varnashrama is an eternal, you know, because we hear sometimes from scholars that this was only introduced a few centuries ago or at some particular time. No. The Varnas are and the Ashramas are the natural, eternal the principles that uh, are present uh, in, in the world and are, that are part of the Vedic teachings. And these are the most uh, ideal for us to take up. Um, another important statement Prabhupada makes is that, and also Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, one <clears throat> can make more easy uh, and quicker advancement I have the quote I can share it with you. Please. By, by working or being within Varnashrama. One small second. I have it right here. Sure. Mm. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> I'll read you the one about, yeah. If one, this is by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur again in the same uh, reference book, uh, the Sajana Toshani. 2-7. If one is situated in the principle of Varnasrama, then his nature cannot be lost. Rather, one can receive huge opportunity and advantage to cultivate Krishna consciousness. Wow. Yeah. Prabhupada made a similar statement by telling that uh, when he was having conversation and devotees were arguing that Prabhupada uh, uh, we thought we are simply having to follow, you know, uh, Lord Chaitanya's uh, mood of chanting. And uh, <clears throat> then Prabhupada was telling that actually uh, to become a Vaishnava is not at all easy. And therefore, Varnashrama is there to help us become Vaishnava. That statement is there actually in the folio. Uh, <clears throat> and here's a really far out statement by again Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur, same reference. Varnashrama Dharma is the society of the Vaishnavas in their conditional stage. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Varnashrama Dharma is the society of the Vaishnavas in their conditional stage. Because very often we prematurely conclude, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're devotees. We're Vaishnavas. Right. We don't need them. Well, you know, Vaishnava means pure, pure Vaishnava. Paramahamsa, you know, fully realized. For them, then Varnashrama is secondary. And, you know, I often have to explain how definitely, and this comes out in the conversation between Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and Rai Ramananda Rai, isn't it? Where seemingly, and devotees quote this conversation by stating that you see, Lord Chaitanya rejected Varnasham. By, by here, this is <laughs> external. External. So, yeah. so, Prabhupada 
commented on that by saying that <clears throat> Lord Chaitanya did not reject Varnashrama, but definitely it is secondary to the ultimate primary goal, which is to develop a love for Krishna, you know, Krishna Prema. Yeah. So in that conversation, Lord Chaitanya was actually trying to extract from Rai Ramananda Rai what is actually the topmost. So Varnashram is like the beginning level, but it is most conducive, as we just read a few seconds ago, to actually come to that mo topmost platform. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like sometimes devotees think like it's uh, it's like so black and white when it's not there's so much gray area like the like varnashram is is um like is the base platform and then you uh, we we gradually move forward yes and that that base platform you know <clears throat> is um super important i would say it is super important it is and it is not initially so easily understood. <clears throat> right. We have two basic, uh, you know, I, I give presentations on Vedic sociology. We have seminars because we have this uh, Varnashram College online where we give courses and whatnot. One of the courses I've been giving has been on Vedic sociology. And I explain about the twofold natures or twofold divisions of dharma. And it's very important. I would say concept to understand. The Prabhupada speaks about material swadharma and spiritual swadharma. Swadharma, of course, means what is more to our nature. Swa, hmm. swadharma. <clears throat> so we have, we more easily can understand what is our spiritual swadharma. That has been stated in a very well-known um, <clears throat> phrase by Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Uh, yes. uh, yeah, we are the eternal servants of Krishna. So that is our uh, spiritual swadharma, which is connected with what is called Bhagavat Dharma, uh, the science of the soul, actually. There's another science, the other level, that is called material swadharma. And that material swadharma, Srila Prabhupada explains, is Varnashrama Dharma. That is, in the same way that spiritual activities of bhakti or devotional service are, you know, Krishna bhakti nitya siddha. It is the eternal natural quality of all living entities. In a similar way, this arrangement or system of varna and ashrama is also, we could say, nitya siddha. <laughs> It is a natural arrangement that facilitates, more easily facilitates for those conditioned souls in the material world. You see, because there are no gunas. There is no, uh, nothing material in the spiritual world. <clears throat> but here in the material world, that material arrangement has given by, been given to us by Krishna. And when we connect that spiritual system of varna and ashrama then it becomes daiva varnashrama yeah Prabhupada translates in, in one um, paragraph he was referring to sanatan dharma and sometimes he actually is very interesting sometimes he equates sanatan dharma with varnashrama dharma 
in this particular statement, Prabhupada was telling about Sanatan Dharma, Varnashrama Dharma, and equating Varnashrama Dharma to divine culture. So Varnashrama Dharma is our divine culture in the material world. Whereas, uh, and, and that divine culture means whether we are a Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaisya, or Shudra, we can become self-realized. So you're saying that these two things are in parallel, Daivi Varnashram and Varnashram. Varnashram, yes. Well, Daiva Varnashram means Varnashram. I'm speaking about Bhagavad Dharma, which is especially on the spiritual transcendental platform and dealing with the soul. Whereas uh, Varnashrama Dharma <clears throat> is on the material level, but when we connect it <clears throat> with bhakti, devotional service, it becomes Daiva Varnashrama, it becomes spiritualized. I'm sure you've heard lectures or, you know, uh, purports of Srila Prabhupada where he mentions that actually for a self-realized soul, there's nothing material. Right. When we connect, when we reconnect things to Krishna, they become, as Prabhupada would say in the early days, Krishnaized. Mm. Spiritual, <laughs> spiritualized, isn't it? Yeah. So the, the activities of a Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra, when the focus is on serving Krishna, Everyone has that opportunity to become self-realized. It's very interesting, actually, because, you know, that famous Bhagavad Gita verse, guna karma vibhagashaha. So guna and karma. Just an interesting point to, uh, to make. Sure. For, for a non-devotee, guna and karma means Guna connected with the modes of material nature. And karma, which means activity, means those activities connected with those particular gunas. So in other words, if one has, uh, <clears throat> even if one is like brahmana, but not devotee, means more intellectual person, he will be more towards the mode of goodness. <clears throat> and... Uh, his activities will be in, uh, you know, in, in, in writing or intellectual type of activities. And the same for other divisions. But if we take a devotee, guna and karma means something different. Guna does not relate to the modes of material nature. Guna means relates to spiritual qualities. Whereas karma may relate to any of the four uh, varnas. Yeah. So, it's just like uh, <clears throat> we cannot and should not judge a devotee simply by what he's doing externally. I remember I give this example occasionally. Uh, many years ago, there was a, an article in the Back to Godhead magazine, one devotee, Prophet Disciple, who was a taxi driver, yellow cabs, I think in, in L.A. Right. But anyone who walked into his yellow cab walked out practically as a devotee because inside, <laughs> inside his yellow cab was, you know, full pictures of um, the spiritual world and he had books. He would just, he would have uh, Prabhupada's bhajans and he would be preaching to people. He, he was shaved head and whatnot. It was like stepping in the spiritual world. 
So here's somebody who's a cab driver, but you know, his consciousness is elevated consciousness. So externally, we may be doing something that may be classified either as Brahmana, Kshatriya, Vaishya, or Shudra uh, category. But what's most important is the consciousness, naturally. Right. So that's why within Aracharyas explains about, explained about these two types of uh, Varnashrama. If one is not actually fortunate to know and to take up the practice of Daiva Varnashrama, which means actually focus on Krishna, focus on Bhakti, fo- focus on devotional service, then any other type of Varnashrama falls in the category of Asuric Varnashrama. Impure, incomplete Varnashrama. Can you repeat what that what does that what does that entail, Asuric Varnashrama? Yeah, Asuric Varnashrama means any just like in modern day society, we have, you know, anyone who's a professor or a teacher, he's considered to be intellectual. His activity is that of an intellectual. But because he's not a devotee, his activity is materialistic. And therefore, he falls in the category of Brahmana, but impure Brahmana. Right. Yeah. Similarly, our leaders, different countries or leaders in villages or whatever, different organizations, uh, they have an ability to organize because that's what a Kshatriya does. Kshatriya organizes, Kshatriya protects. But if they are not uh, in the consciousness, elevated consciousness of especially Krishna consciousness, then there is something lacking. So there are different shades, different shades of uh, Asura Varnashrama. Mm. Yeah. It seems that, like, what's the connection between, because it, because I think Varnashram is sometimes rejected by people, by maybe secular people, because uh, it's, it's connection with, like, the caste system. Yes. yes. Could you discuss a little bit or elaborate on that connection and may perhaps the Krishna conscious view of, I know you're discussing, you know, we're all equal in the sense of we're all devotees. So Daivi Varnashram, but, but, but in the modern context of the, you know, how people reject that because of the caste system. Yes. Well, for so many centuries, actually uh, in India where Vedic culture originates from, and therefore where Varnashrama was, practiced or we could say malpractice. I mean it goes back, we can trace this back to the time of Lord Buddha, you know, going back two thousand five hundred years. And that's one of the reasons why Lord Buddha rejected the Vedas, because of misuse of the teachings by the Brahmanas at that time. So in other words, we have all of these centuries of bad Varnashrama. Whereby yeah, where whereby because of being on the bodily platform, the brahmanas considered themselves superior and wanted to dominate the other castes, the other uh, sections of society. In other words, there has been this uh, ongoing competition due to bodily identification and, and, uh, <clears throat> and therefore there's a mis- use there has been a misuse and therefore a misunderstanding of caste 
definitely uh, in the West, not only in the West, I would say here in India, so many people are also rejecting, rejecting the caste system. We also, Prabhupada in this uh, essay, that's why the essay of Gita Nagari, coming back to that essay, is so important. Prabhupada explains how we also reject, it, reject what, he, what he termed as the vitiated, the bad, <laughs> the bad system of caste. But Prabhupada upholds, as I was mentioning earlier, he calls the fourth movement, casteless society. You know, classless society means casteless society in the sense that <clears throat> we, we cannot reject, we cannot do away the natural tendencies based on the modes of material nature. Uh, what we can and should reject is, <clears throat> well, the obvious one that um, is, is, has been a major uh, stumbling block in India uh, people claiming to be Brahmanas being born because they are born in a Brahmana family, isn't it? Right, right. Pe people claiming to be uh, <clears throat> of a particular caste uh, without having the qualifications. Mm -hmm. So the major, major difference here that we are trying, we means that Srila Prabhupada through his movement is trying to introduce is that one's position within society <clears throat> will must be based on quality. Uh, not only on quality, but on these two things, on guna and karma, on the ability to actually perform within that particular category. So that is only possible. And once again, it's a main feature of the Vedic culture uh, to emphasize early training, early education. There's a nice saying, actually, I was doing when I was doing my master's in education some years back, uh, it was research actually on Gurukula, traditional educational system of India, comparing that with Indonesia. Very interesting. We won't get into that. <laughs> but there's one nice statement that we find actually here in India or in the ancient Vedic writings, that life is education and education is life. You see? Wow. Modern day society, we speak about long-term, you know, education. It was already embedded within the Vedic culture. You see, so that means that <clears throat> when there is proper education provided, and it all begins actually with the Bhagavad Gita, isn't it? The Bhagavad Gita is really the basis to understand everything else that may be there in the Vedic literatures, like Prabhupada would say you really will not be able to appreciate or to understand the Srimad Bhagavatam unless you have a thorough uh, grasp of the teachings in the Bhagavad Gita. So the majority of people, naturally they will <clears throat> have this kind of reaction when we speak or mention the word caste because all they have heard <laughs> and all they have seen has, has been bad, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. yes. Yeah. It's been exploitation and abuse after abuse and after abuse. Right. So, so it, it, it's a major, uh, definitely a challenge, major uphill kind of situation for us as a society. And therefore, Prabhupada wanted us that at least on a small scale, we begin, and that's a very most important point Prabhupada underlined many, many times, <clears throat> 
we will only be successful in getting our philosophy across if we can live our philosophy. Gyanam means knowledge, having knowledge, but Vigyanam means applied knowledge. Right. How to apply that knowledge, how to demonstrate in practicality that philosophy. I'd love to get into how you're applying that right now where you are, because I've seen pictures and things of what you are doing <clears> there. <throat> but before that, I'd like to kind of discuss in the context of our ISKCON society, we see that not every one of our leaders are on the same page regarding this, Maharaj. It's, you notice. Yeah, I notice. <laughs> Especially now, when we sit, when we're when Prashila Prabhupada has said, "Don't rely on modern uh, technology, not technology. Don't look, rely on modern leaders and all these scientists and things for for our you know well being and things like that." Our leaders in ISKCON are promoting. I'm not going to say the word, but they're promoting something <laughs> all across very hard and very much in line with. Uh, modern society and what's going on in modern society. So how do you deal with that being a, a leader in the society where your where your god brothers and god sisters may be I mean this is a hard question to ask you but I'm this is what this <laughs> podcast is about. It's about real life, real conversations. But how do we deal with that Maharaj when it's it's not in line with I I'm I'm saying very this is my opinion because I'm I'm gonna get probably <laughs> for this, but it's not in line with Srila Prabhupada, I would say. Okay. I understand what you're saying. And uh, I would reply as follows. Naturally, <clears throat> I know a number of my god brothers and my god sisters <clears throat> who are uh, also very concerned about uh, some of the directions that are being promoted um, within our ISKCON society. And uh, there are discussions, ongoing discussions, how to, um, <clears throat> we could say, get the point across or establish that such and such a thing, whatever it may be, there are a number of issues. Again, very uh, crucial, very critical, very, I would say some of them very controversial also, <clears throat> but they need to be brought out, they need to be addressed, and on some of these issues, if we don't deal with this properly, uh, we definitely will not be pleasing to Srila Prabhupada, and there will be, I would say, definitely some severe uh, repercussions within our society, unfortunately. Already, a different scale, it is happening. It's not something of yesterday also. There are certain issues without getting into specifics that, <clears throat> and, and I would say some, some of our, our topmost leaders do recognize, but not I would say sufficiently, or not the uh, number needed to actually uh, move things in the right direction. Naturally, 
it's of concern. I'm, you know, very much. Uh, <clears throat> I mentioned earlier how in 2009, after I came back here to India, we were able to establish first in the first year, I think 2007, a, uh, a committee. And then uh, we came out with a position paper in connection with Varnashrama. And then that following year, 2009, we were able to establish this ministry for Varnashrama Dharma. There is no other country, there's no, there's no other Varnashrama ministry in the world that I know of as such. Wow. I'm, just I'm just making the point that, <clears throat> uh, of course, this is because we're talking in the context of Varnashrama, so we can more easily possibly take that as an example. <laughs> sure. Uh, <clears throat> there, is a, uh, there is a real need and an urgency to get this message across and I would say that uh, here in India, because I spend most of my time uh, in India, I have been for the last four years, especially due to in connection with this research I'm doing. So the general, I would say leadership here in India uh, is uh, <clears throat> very, very concerned and, and has become also quite vocal in expressing their dissatisfaction on a number of issues. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> for example, I can mention this because it's not, I mean, it's, it's a resolution that was passed very recently, maybe within less than uh, one or two weeks here in India. The leadership, topmost leadership, um, <clears throat> they, uh, passed a resolution whereby they established a, a Shastric mm, committee of scholars to look into certain issues uh, and establish based on Shastra, the validity or non-validity of such and such. In other words, I mean, Srila Prabhupada, as we know, <clears throat> He very clearly on a number of occasions indicated that India has a special role to play uh, in, in uh, I would say, in upholding dharma, although he did mention simultaneously that America should be taking the lead, you right. know, by spreading Krishna consciousness. But he, we know from Shastra that uh, the land of India is a very special land. And uh, there are so many people who are born in that culture, isn't it? Born in, in, in the Vedic culture. <clears throat> and therefore, there's a, um, there's a special, I would say, role and responsibility that needs to be forthcoming from uh, <clears throat> devotees in India, especially, although that responsibility of uh, following Siddhanta is everyone's responsibility. Yeah. But I would say it's even more so uh, here in India. And uh, my hope uh, is that uh, by being connected and involved with some of the ongoing discussions is that some of these mm, <clears throat> uh, matters or issues will be corrected. Uh, uh, and, 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 and so... Uh, it is not only, of course, 
of concern to devotees here uh, in India, but it is, I would say, special in that, uh, you know, uh, on certain issues, it's like the vast majority of leaders in India have, have voted, have stood behind that this is not correct, we have to change this, right? You know? There are many other uh, senior devotees, um, proper disciples who, and I'm sure others as well, who are also concerned about some of the uh, directives or some of the uh, <clears throat> decisions um, uh, or positions being taken. And I definitely totally disapprove that within our society, individuals in leadership position uh, make very affirmative statements on very controversial and sensitive issues. Yes. I, 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 I am very, uh, <clears throat> I would say, I, I find it most unfortunate and it's happened a number of times as well. And it has, you know, received publicity uh, in, in some of our major, without giving names, but um, uh, social media within ISKCON society or related to, to ISKCON. Yeah. And I think this is uh, unjust, unfair, and, and uh, uh, a, an actual disservice. And it should actually be corrected. Uh, we should have, um, you know, depending on issues, some issues <clears throat> are extremely, I would say, volatile. Um, I was mm, speaking to one devotee. I, I won't mention his name, and I won't even, <laughs> I won't even mention the country. But uh, I was uh, interviewing him just a few weeks ago as a follow-up to my research. Also, it's one of the ten communities I have researched in the last few years. So he was telling me that, uh, you know, what has been ongoing in the last one and a half years was unprecedented, of course, was unprecedented for the whole world, but in that, in their particular community, and it created major divisions, you know, unthinkable, and, and uh, which underlined and showed how we are so, uh, ill-prepared in many ways and, and have not sufficiently uh, understood some of the, I would say, basic uh, tenets or basic philosophy of Krishna consciousness. So it, amongst a number of things, I would say it's a call upon us to actually look more closely, more deeply into what Srila Prabhupada has given us and his teachings. And it's like, you know, we all know how the world situation is uh, so horribly in a uh, <clears throat> horrible, yeah, I mean, a, a terrible situation uh, on so many fronts. And it is important for us as a society to take certain, you know, decisions to make our positions known on certain issues. Some issues may be more delicate than others, but we have, uh, we have clear instructions in our Shastra uh, on a number of issues, and, and uh, therefore it's part of our duty and responsibility <clears throat> to not, I would say, uh, 
sidestep or twist or change our philosophy. So I'm, I'm praying that some of these issues uh, will be looked at more closely so that, uh, I mean, we all know that in the past, <clears throat> our topmost leadership within the society has at different times passed resolutions which had to be withdrawn. They passed wrong resolutions in the past. And therefore, uh, we should at all costs avoid that more such wrong resolutions be passed, which will affect the lives of individuals within our movement, which will affect our whole movement, and will, which eventually will, which also will affect the whole of society. We cannot water down our philosophy. At the same time, we have to be intelligent how we present it. So it's like, we just have to be, <clears throat> of course, Shula Prabhupada was the foremost <laughs> expert in being able to do that. We cannot imitate him. At the same time, we should not change or water down the philosophy or the instructions that he has given us. And, and even you know, coming back to, let's say, what we're discussing today about Varnashrama, it's like when somebody presents a seminar uh, <clears throat> with a title uh, Varnashram and how it can mess up your life. I'm not sure if you've heard that title or not. <laughs> Then uh, uh, when that seminar was given a few years ago here in India, many devotees in India were very disturbed, many leaders. And uh, this has still not actually been resolved. You know? uh, it's a misleading kind of title. Of course, it's a catchy title. How to mess up your life with Varnasram. You would never say to, to devotees or to, uh, to anyone, how chanting Hare Krishna will mess up your life. Fine. Rather the opposite, you know. What are the values and uh, what is the importance of uh, chanting the holy name? What is important and what are the values? Maybe misunderstood. Maybe certain dangers mm, are there. But the emphasis should be on the positive side. What are the values and what is the importance and how to fulfill the desire and the instructions of our founder, Acharya? You see. Right. <clears throat> So in that respect, actually, here in India, in addition to the ministry that we have, we have uh, two other, I'll just mention them briefly because possibly at the end of this uh, session, you can put up some of the links. I, I will, uh, yes. Yeah. So uh, there is, uh, we have a website for the ministry uh, in India. We also have a website for <clears throat> what is called the... Uh, Varnashram College Online. We started this uh, in May of 2020, just a little bit over a year ago. We have students from uh, some close to 40 countries, who uh, some 400 students from close to 40 countries and 25 teachers uh, presenting different subject matters in relation to what I mentioned a little earlier, this Chatur Vidya, 
the traditional sciences that are there in our Vedic um, uh, curriculum. In addition to that, we also inaugurated uh, one year before ISKCON's Golden Jubilee, which was 2016. Our ministry in India inaugurated what is called the Om Sri Surabhi campaign in, on January the 1st, 2015. It's a 12-year, we could say, marathon to promote the whole ideology of cow-based culture. Vedic culture is primarily, as we discussed a little earlier, agrarian. That means cow-based because the fourth of the sciences, the science of economics, is summarized in the Bhagavad Gita. Krishi gorakshavani jam, vaisha karma swabhava jam. That is the ideal and perfect science of economics. So if we compare the different you know, efforts at economic development around the world, how many of them, how many of them are close to that definition? Probably not many. <laughs> yeah, practically none, right? So therefore, uh, in different ways, we are endeavoring to kind of involve devotees, educate devotees, give an opportunity. Uh, and here in India, there's some positive developments in that uh, in the last maybe two years, our leadership has been, I would say, more openly discussing about these two things. One is Varnashrama in general, and specifically also about Gurukula. We have basically three main objectives uh, with our Varnashram College online. One of them is actually, now we're giving courses online, but we are encouraging and helping to prepare individuals to actually establish local, isn't it? Local Varnashram colleges. So that's the first objective we have, which is something that Prabhupada wanted and requested so many years ago. Second, we want to uh, encourage devotees to start gurukulas, traditional gurukulas. Whole Vedic culture, the foundation of that culture without gurukula it's just not going to stand. It's not going to happen. Mm. And the third is to, once devotees are trained in the basic concepts and principles of Varnashrama Dharma, specifically Daiva Varnashrama Dharma, once they know and have begun, uh, let's say, to establish Gurukulas, then we can establish Vedic villages we can come back to what is meant to be the norm, agrarian lifestyle, you see. When villages will collapse as they are destined to because it's, it's an inbuilt, you know, <laughs> uh, unsustainable situation. So they, they are made that way. <laughs> and it's also been uh, <clears throat> instructed to us by Srila Prabhupada then, then what? You know. Yeah. So, so up until you know just a few hundred years ago, that was the main way that the vast majority of people were living, etc., like that. Rains are just beginning here. Oh, I can hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, um, yeah. Go yeah, ahead. Maharaj. So, I want to talk a little bit uh, about 
your application of this in in where you are right now in South India. Can you give us a little bit? I know it's hard to without visuals and things, but a little bit into like what your project is doing there. <clears throat> well, I'm involved in a re quite recent project, which is establishing a Gurukula here in South India. Oh, wow. Uh, <clears throat> I'm uh, in the, what is called the district of Udupi, Udupi Krishna, famous, right. well-known, the uh, <clears throat> uh, base of uh, uh, Srila uh, Madhvacharya. And uh, we also have a community that we call uh, Sayadri Sri Krishna Balaram Chitra. So this Gurukul, where I'm sitting right now and uh, conducting this, uh, or rather your guest <laughs> on this interview, you're conducting the interview. Yes, yes. Uh, I'm like one kilometer away from that community. It's a, it's a community in the making since uh, a number of years, of course, with uh, this COVID and whatnot, things have been slowed down. <clears throat> And um, uh, I've been more uh, for a number of years, actually, especially when I was visiting Indonesia, we have a, a wonderful community that uh, was established way back in 1999, actually. And uh, we have like um, some 40 plus families, 150 devotees. We have our own school. Um, this is in own... Indonesia? That's in, in Indonesia. Wow. The, yeah. Indonesia being the largest Muslim country in the world. Wow. Popula Population-wise. Right. Uh, but but uh, it's very interesting how we have a number of communities, actually, especially in Indonesia. In many ways, I would say that uh, my involvement and uh, <clears throat> connection with the communities has been more uh, with Indonesia uh, and uh, here uh, in India through the ministry, of course, we've been uh, uh, trying to uh, encourage and uh, <clears throat> establish, for example, the ministry is putting on regular uh, seminars and workshops. <clears throat> One of the titles of an ongoing uh, workshop is uh, From Dirt to Soil from dirt to soil. Wow. And that can only be done if you have cows, actually, you know, right. natural manure and whatnot. So we've been doing that for a number uh, of years. And uh, we've been uh, giving seminars at different uh, temples, etc., like that. Uh, I'm especially focusing on gurukulas now for the last um, maybe a year or so, because they are so urgently needed and, and uh, we just cannot wait any longer. Uh, so there are a number of initiatives being taken. Uh, some of them are uh, within ISKCON. Some of them are semi-ISKCON. Some of them are not directly connected with ISKCON. I see Varnashram communities or Varnashram villages, of course, will be connected with ISKCON but it's not that every village where a Varnashram community is going to be started is going to be registered under ISKCON. Right. You know, we, we have that kind of, uh, I would say, misunderstanding that everything under has to come under the purview or the uh, management, direct management. Uh, 
by nature and by definition, villages are meant to be self-governed, you know, the concept of self-governance. And of course, the presence of ISKCON should be there, uh, the Brahminical dimension and aspect. But for all of that to happen, for villages to actually become one of our goals in promoting and pushing to establish more gurukulas is to train uh, <clears throat> leaders who will be able to actually uh, establish, help establish gurukulas. Yeah. We are in dire need of this type of training uh, for young boys. We are also in dire need of training for our young girls. Uh, yes. That's a whole other topic, of course. Uh, which gets into the role, duties, and responsibilities within, let's say, a Varnashrama context uh, <clears throat> for men and for women. And uh, there are many wonderful things to be discussed in that respect. And obviously, <laughs> it's not the time <laughs> now at the end, more or less uh, coming close to the end of our sure. uh, this yeah. interview. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mainly focused that uh, we have our own website which I think I did not send to you, but uh, it's easy enough. Oh, I can, uh, I can I, put it up now if you yeah, yeah. me. Yeah, it's uh, www.parasuramagurukula, uh, <clears throat> in one word. P-A-R-A-S-U-R-A-M-A, -A -A Parasurama, and continuing with gurukula.com. Yeah, so uh, we started actually only a few months back. Uh, some nice um, videos and pictures are on the website. And uh, here where I am, actually, this particular part of, part of South India, the rains are extremely heavy. We're like uh, 30 kilometers away from a place called Agumbe. Agumbe receives the second heaviest rainfall in the whole of India. My goodness. After Meghalai. Meghalai is like way up north. And yep. they call it Meghalai because Mega clouds right. <laughs> <laughs> full of clouds so we get heavy rain so our students are a little bit on holiday right now uh, how many and, students uh, are there there uh, we had students actually who came from another state to help us begin the gurukula we had about 20 students wow and, yeah now most of those students uh, well all of them actually who came from another state are back uh, we have two Guruku boys, and now we're uh, <clears throat> uh, looking for uh, local local boys. And uh, we have our own dedicated um, <clears throat> telephone number. We're getting inquiries at different times from different people and whatnot. Yeah. The place in Indonesia that you established in 1999, is that like a self-sufficient community? Or what's, the, what's going on there? <clears throat> Uh, it's very difficult to actually come to that complete level of self-sufficiency. Right. There, there, there is a, a mixture. Uh, again, it's part of the research I'm doing. And uh, so different communities, including that one, is not fully self-sufficient. Uh, <clears throat> but I would say that, uh, you know, all the families within that community <clears throat> provide for the community themselves. Some of them, uh, because it's spread out actually on about 150 acres of land. 
they have acquired since then some individual personal land. So they are growing um, some of their own food. Pre pretty well everyone has their own small garden. But some of our devotees are teachers in local schools, for example. So there's a, a variety of ways in which they are um, supporting that community. But they're basically, we could say, self-sufficient self in that they are, uh, you know, holding the fort by themselves in different, in different ways. Right. Uh, we have our own school there as well. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, from uh, uh, the primary uh, school, and uh, we have like some 70, 60, 70 children there, actually. It's a wonderful place. If you ever visit on that side, by all means, uh, I'll make all arrangements for you to actually see it in action. It's wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah I'd love yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> most of the communities I have visited, and I would think that most communities around the world where we have devotees endeavoring to establish uh, <clears throat> self-sufficiency, uh, they are all at different uh, levels. Uh, I would say one of the more, one of the communities I studied was, of course, Krishna Valley. I'm sure you've heard of. Yes, in Hungary. Hungary. And they're probably one of the more uh, self-sufficient uh, communities. <clears throat> and, and uh, but not, uh, not fully as well, but, uh, I would say of all the ones that I have seen and uh, studied, they are one of the more established and uh, very uh, clear, good understanding. And naturally, because they have somebody like Shivaram Maharaj there also, who is very much a, uh, <clears throat> very knowledgeable and has uh, uh, wonderful realizations about uh, the importance and the need of Varnashram communities. Yeah. Right, right. Well, yeah. Maharaj, this has been fantastic and, and very informative. Thank you so much uh, for joining me. I just wanted to end with any concluding words for our listeners, if you could, I guess, what do you want to leave us with? <laughs> well, I always invite and encourage, and in some places or sometimes, uh, plead, you know, humbly request devotees to give attention to these most important instructions given to Srila Prabhupada. Our ministry in India, <clears throat> we printed this version I was showing a little earlier of speaking about Varnashrama. We printed 3,000 copies with the idea of giving a complimentary copy to every single temple in the world. Wow. Who, whoever is coming to Mayapur, because our main office is in Mayapur, our books are in Mayapur, they can avail of a complimentary copy. I encourage devotees to read this book. Even if you don't have a copy of it, you can get it, you can read it on the folio. Mm -hmm. So that's one very important, uh, I would say, request that I would make. Secondly, I also urge devotees to read very attentively <clears throat> those five chapters I was referring to. Chapter 11 to 15 from the seventh canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. It is, you know, Srila Narada Muni's dissertation, his PhD dissertation on Varnasama. 
seventh canto, eleventh to fifteenth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, eleven, fifteen. At the last five chapters, which is eleven to fifteen, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Thirdly, I would encourage devotees to read this essay on Gita Nagari, mm. which is also in the folio. <clears throat> and I would encourage devotees who, and that's the majority of our devotees, of course, who are in the cities, to <clears throat> connect, to endeavor to connect with any community that is close by, to begin reading on a regular basis, just like in some temples we hear a lecture Prabhupada every week, or we read from the Chaitanya Charitamrita every week, right? Yes. I would suggest devotees once a week to set one hour aside to read from this speaking about Varnashrama so that Varnashrama consciousness can gradually filter, you know, I mean, come within one consciousness. Very, very, very important. We have our office, uh, main office for the ministry in uh, Mayapur, if you visit India, <clears throat> please visit the office or you can even without coming to India, you can open communication. The details are on the website, on the link that you'll be showing uh, shortly. <clears throat> and um, maybe just one last thing is that, you know, with all of the very strong directives and warnings given by Srila Prabhupada, it is really a high time, to say the least, it is really high time that we wake up to what is taking place in the world today uh, in relation to what Srila Prabhupada has warned us about and instructed. Of course, our basic uh, <clears throat> action our basic, basic um, uh, concern should be to really become more serious about our individual Krishna consciousness. At the same time, we have a duty and a responsibility to uphold, to understand, and to implement to the best of our ability, uh, according to our individual situations, these most directive, uh, direct instructions and clear instructions. I really would like to see every temple uh, follow this instruction given by Srila Prabhupada, which is so uh, fundamental in terms of introducing or establishing a Varnashram College. That will really help things to kind of, I would say, open up. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I, of course, would like to take this opportunity to thank you, Namras, Prabhu, for giving me this opportunity to uh, to speak on this uh, subject matter, uh, camouflaged under Vedic sociology. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. I, I found it. I always say this too, but you know, it's it's a very selfish thing that I do to interview <laughs> devotees because I get so much out of the association of the yeah. devotees that I you know, interview, I get so many amazing realizations and, and yeah, sure. thank you again, Maharaj, for joining us. I just want to post yeah. these um, links up. So the first one is, uh, oh, sorry, it's a ticker. Let me change that. It's um, iskonvarnashrama.com. Varnashrama is spelled V-A-R-N-A-S-R-A-M-A.com. 
Yep. And uh, this this is a website. This is an official website for for the college, or that is the official website for the ministry in India. For the My ministry, in India. ministry. Yeah. Okay. And then the yeah. next one here is varnashramacollege.com. Yeah, varnashramacollege.com is actually we are affiliated or working in collaboration with the Ministry of Education. Uh, okay. <clears throat> yeah, Iskand Ministry of Education. Yeah. And then the next one is um, uh, shrisurabi.org. Yeah. So this is the website for uh, the Om Sri Surabi campaign. You can get all kinds of information about the campaign on this website. Okay. And then the next one is the Parshuram Gurku, which yeah. we spoke okay. about. Yeah, uh, good. Yeah. And then... Uh, can I can I post your email as well if anyone wants to get in touch with you? Yeah, that's fine. No problem. Okay. Yes. So yeah. this is uh, bhakti.raghava.swami at palmho.net. If you want to get in touch with Maharaj to perhaps get more information or any questions or things that, that come up from this podcast. So again, thank you everyone for joining us. And again, thank you, Maharaj, for taking two hours out of your busy schedule <laughs> to, to talk with me. It really was wonderful. Uh, please stay online. I'm just going to turn off the recording. Thank you, everyone, okay. for joining me. Hare Krishna. Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare Hare